last month, we are starting with a, a whole new series. We've been on a journey this whole year, and I don't know if you've noticed, we've tried to connect some dots. And one of the most intense uh, topics we did this year was actually about addictions, about addictions that can actually consume and take over our lives. And then the last two months, we decided to say, okay, but then let's talk about what replaces addictions. What are the, what are, you know, if you have a deep desire for, for something like alcohol or sexuality or, or whatever your addiction is or shopping online on Amazon, I think that's my wife's addiction. Um, uh, you know, the, when, once you have that, it's great to have these desires, but what desires do you replace them with? And we talked about the fruits of the Spirit for the last two months. These are the things that should start to fill up our hearts. But then we asked the question, what are the actions that it takes in order to fill our hearts with the right things? And so this month we want to talk about spiritually healthy habits. And we're going to be covering like repentance and prayer and confession and community, etc. And this month we're looking to find out what are the spiritual behaviors that will help us to have the fruits of the Spirit and to become the type of Christian we want to be. How do I actually act like a Christian? Well, this month we're also seeing the children's church that will, that will also take, come on this journey with us and they'll be memorizing this verse and this will be the same verse that we're going to be anchoring our teachings this month from too. So if you want to memorize it with your kids, how cool would that be, right? So they can do it and then you can beat them at it and go, well, I already know this verse, right? So we're gonna be reading from the New Living Translation. It says this, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Sometimes that's one of the most disconcerting things for us is like, what's God's will for me? What am I meant to do? What is my purpose? And you can feel unmoored and you can feel very lost, especially if you've had things taken from you or you've had challenges in your life or it feels like God is allowing you to be crushed. Sometimes that can, that can distract you or maybe you've, you've lost someone through death or maybe you have lost a business or, and you feel unmoored and you feel lost and you're like, well, what is it that God wants for me? What is his will for me? And I'm not here to tell you exactly what that is. I can maybe give you a very pithy statement of what that looks like, but you're looking for some specificity of what you're meant to do with your life. Well, before you're able to really be able to capture that and discover that, I believe you actually have to, you have to embrace the behaviors that it takes to be able to receive what God wants you to do and even be able to understand because if even God told you what he wants you to do, you might look at it and go, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. I know you've told me to do that. I don't know how that's gonna work. You want me to do that? I'm not the person to do it. It's amazing, if God told you exactly what you wanted to do, you probably go, ah, uh, no, nah. you've got something else in your box there, God. I mean, is there anything else that we can look at? Because that's not something I want to do. I don't think I'm capable. I don't think that's what I wanted to do. Well, maybe God's not gonna show you everything that he's called you to do. Maybe he's just telling you, can you take hold of the behaviors that will help to transform the way you think so you can now receive what it is that I want to give to you? and what I want to give through you. Sometimes the biggest stumbling block that we have in our lives is the way that we think. And the only way we're gonna be able to change the way that we think to receive what God wants to give to us is if we change our habits and our behaviors. So today I want to talk about guarding your heart through a life of repentance. And I realize the word repentance is like an old fashioned word, right? Or repent, that sounds like an old man's word or something from scripture. Repent basically just means this, that you're sorry enough to change. 
right? You're sorry enough for what you have been and, and what you're not, that you're sorry enough to God that you're willing to change to become everything that he wants you to be and to do the things that he's actually calling you to do. Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything that's in your heart is going to affect everything that is outside of your heart. So whatever dysfunctions or whatever challenges or whatever self-criticisms or whatever trauma from your past has been in your heart or whatever anger or bitterness has filled up your heart, it's actually going to affect all the relationships outside of your heart. I love the way that New Life Translation says this, it determines the course of your life. All the steps that you take will be affected by what you feel about yourself and what you think about yourself. So this morning, I want to dig into what does it mean to actually guard your heart? To guard your heart, you have to guard it against four specific enemies. There's a very good book about this by Andy Stanley, and uh, you, can, you can look it up called uh, uh, The Enemies of Your Heart. But here are the four enemies, the four things that kill your heart. First one is guilt, second one is anger, and the third one is greed, and the fourth one is jealousy. Guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. Why those four things? Well, we're gonna dig into it and have a look at it. I remember when I first got a credit card when I was you know, in my 20s. I remember when I got my first uh, um, uh, bank card. Have you ever gotten a bank card before? And you get a bank card and you open up a bank. I mean, I was about maybe 16 or 17 and I got a bank card. And I felt really powerful, right? I've got a bank card. I can literally go to what we call in Scotland the hole in the wall. You call it the ATM. We call it the hole in the wall. And you put this card in and then it spits money out to you. But it won't spit money out to you if you actually don't have any money in the bank. That's the only downside with having a bank card. But if you upgrade, let me, let me upgrade you, if you upgrade to a credit card, you actually don't have to have any money, you just have to have this credit card and you'll get money from someone, this company, that will give you money to go do what it is that you want. Why wait for the things that you want? Why not have them now? Just borrow money from this bank account or this credit card company, and you'll be able to have all the things that you want. Now, all the parents are sitting here, could you stop saying that? Because my kids are going to actually believe this now, right? The problem with a credit card is this. It puts you into a thing that is called debt. That means you still owe the money. Pastor Asen was talking about this the other day. She just thought the color red meant everything was happy and cheery. Hey, red means that you're in debt, you have to owe the money back because you paid for it. And not only are you just gonna to have to owe the money back, but you're actually gonna to have to pay a little extra to be able to pay for the money that you actually borrowed, right? It's called interest. And so what happens is when you get this wonderful, lovely credit card is that you carry and you accrue and you transfer debt into your life. And this debt that comes into your life is not something that has an expiration date. In fact, what it does is it just keeps increasing. In fact, sometimes you can get to a place where you're in so much debt that you need forgiveness for your debt. You need debt forgiveness. Now, that doesn't happen all a lot. And if it does happen, it comes with some sort of consequences. If we're even at the point with, the, with bank cards that we can literally take my bank card and I can touch it to a computer or I can hover it over this kiosk and suddenly I'll be able to pay for the item that I want, but now debt is now coming into my card. It's coming into my life. I don't even have to be connected to a person in order to have debt come into my life. It can get to a place where the person could be dead and I could still be borrowing their money and, and, and I'm getting debt into my life. Even this debt, something about this debt is that this will follow you everywhere you go. 
If you've come from another country and you decide to move to America, the debt will follow you. If you've come from another state and you've decided to come to, to Florida, the debt will follow you. If you switch houses, switch cities, switch families, switch gears, switch clothes, switch whatever you want, switch spouses, the debt will always follow you. The same is true with the debt that we accrue in our hearts. That the things from the past, the things that we don't let go of, they start to build up in our hearts and we become a slave to those debts. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse seven, it says, and the borrower is slave to the lender. You become a slave to that person. You, that person, you're indelibly connected. You're enslaved to another person, even if they're dead. You literally can be enslaved to somebody like your father or your mother that you still resent or still hate. And even though they're dead and they've gone into eternity, there's still debt in your heart that you're enslaved to them because you've not worked off that debt. Does this make sense? Even your debt can tip the balance of your relationship where it can muddy a relationship with someone else. It can divide your relationship. It can sour it. It can turn you into a slave or you into a master. Now the relationship and the beautiful relationship you had with someone else is now soured and muddied simply because there's a debt between you both. So let's talk about these four debts. The first one is this. It's guilt. Guilt says, I owe you. I owe something to you. When you have stolen something, you owe an apology, you owe a payment, something is due, a restitution is due. This can happen in families that maybe go through divorce and a parent who goes through divorce can often feel this, this, this angst and this horror within themselves because they realize that they passed on a divorced family to their children and so therefore they feel that they owe something to their children and then they'll over reward their children with things in order to try and placate them or to tell them how much I love them. I know that I've gotten divorced but I love you really a lot. And so you'll give them too much stuff, even to the point that you won't discipline them anymore. And so we end up spoiling our children because we feel guilt in our hearts. We owe them something. And so we'll try and give them so much more. Maybe you've even borrowed money from someone else or, or maybe you borrowed a tool from someone. And I've had people who borrowed money from me and then suddenly they disappear. I don't see them anymore. Right, we, we, we used to call me every week. We used to hang out all the time together. You used to, we used to be together all the time. But no, they don't want to see me anymore because they feel the guilt of the money they still owe me, but they can't come and say, I'm sorry, I don't have the money. Recently, it can be even, I've gone through this myself, where, where I made some changes in the church and I haven't made proper communication with some of my leaders and I, and I disrespected them, I stepped on their toes and I didn't communicate with them properly. And there's a certain guilt that I carry that I didn't treat them properly. Well, how do I actually fix this? What is the spiritual habit that conquers guilt? In James 5, 16, it says and it tells us that confession is the thing that conquers guilt. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Healing is not just something that physically happens. It emotionally happens. It relationally happens. It spiritually happens. It can even psychologically happen in your life. My question for you to today is who do you need to confess to? Maybe there's someone coming to your mind right now Maybe from your childhood, maybe from someone at, at work, maybe from someone who's in your family. And you know that there is a debt between you and them and you just need to go confess it. Can you fix it? Can you make restitution? Maybe you can't, but at least the start of confession 
can put you on the road to having your heart freed from debt. Here's the second debt that comes into our lives. The second enemy of our heart is anger. And that is when you owe me. If the first one was I owe you, the second one is you own me. When, when something has been stolen from you, you feel often this loss. You feel this debt that is between you and them. Someone has hurt you. You, believed, you believe that you are, are owed an apology. You're the one who's meant to get restitution. And oftentimes when there's a debt between you and them, this anger can build up and build up and build up to a point of revenge that will even use a sentence like this, I need to make it even. That's a debt sentence, that you want to make things even. Let me give you an example. I've personally gone through this just recently where my mother who spent 40 years building a church with my dad and who was never paid a dime for it, the church was meant to pay her a pension until the day she died. And they did that for 15 years after my father passed away. But one day they came and said, actually legally we're not allowed to give you a pension because you don't officially work for the church so we're, not longer, we're no longer going to give you a pension. So I went to them and said, no, you can do it, you just have to turn it into something else. Where there's a will, there's a way. Well, where there's a will, there's a relative. But where there's a will, there's a way, right? It's very possible to do. And they said, no, we don't want to do it. And so it got to the point where I'm like, well, mom, what do you want to do? And I have to say, with all the mercy and the grace that my mother had, she said this. She said, listen, God has looked after me for 40 years. Why would I not think that he can't look after me for another 40 years? But it's still stuck in my heart. Yeah, but this is an injustice. Something needs to be done about this. There was a debt that was still, there was no debt in my mother's life, but there was a debt still in my life. And months later, I knew what I had to do. I had to go, Father, I let it go. I forgive them. I'm moving on from this because I can't afford to carry this debt in my heart. I can't afford to be angry and bitter. I'll lose sleep. I'll lose my health. It'll affect my physical heart. It'll affect my blood pressure. It's going to affect my life. I'm the one carrying the debt here. If you're in a position of anger or bitterness or feeling of injustice, you're gonna have to make a conscious choice. I'm going to let this go. How do you do it? In Ephesians 4, 31, 32, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. The thing, the spiritual habit that conquers guilt or conquers anger in your life is forgiveness. Forgiveness conquers guilt. Just as you, I love this phrase where it says, just as you in Christ, God forgave you. You see, with forgiveness, when you're forgiving a person, you're not telling them it's what they've done is right. You're not even letting them off. God will deal with them. What you're doing is you're saying, I'm no longer going to hold you in debt to me because we now have a relationship of a slave and a master and I don't want to be connected that way anymore because it's killing me and it's killing you. And here's the thing with forgiveness. I remember my father saying this years ago. He used to say, let's give them the grace that we don't deserve. Let's give them the forgiveness that we never deserved. You see, if you can remind yourself that you never deserved any mercy that came from God, then you'll discover that you have no right to hold a person in contempt. You have no right to hold a debt against them. You have no right to withhold forgiveness. Who do you need to forgive today? 
Who just came to your mind as I was talking about this stuff? Is it an ex-husband? Is it your father or your mother? Is it an old friend? Is it an old boss? Who is it you need to forgive that you think has disrespected you or has racked up debt in you? Number three, greed. The first one is, I owe you. The second one is, you owe me. This one is, I owe me. It's greed. I deserve something in my life. I deserve something more. I have earned these things that I have. I want to have them. Oftentimes, it can even be born out of when you're focused on the things that you don't have. Now, the fact is, I have never, ever had anyone come to me and confess greed in their life. Never in my once. Never have I ever seen it. Someone came to me and went, you know, I really think I've got an issue with greed in my life. No one does it. Do you know why? Because we take greed and we hide it behind the thing called virtues. We do things like, well, I'm just saving for the future. I'm just trying, you know, I've got to be responsible about the future. Yeah, but you have way more than you need and God has already asked you to give. Well, I'm just being careful because you know me, I'm a planner and I don't like to make decisions today. Yeah, but the Holy Spirit moved on your heart and he told you to be generous and to give to other people. Yeah, but I wanna take some time to think this through. We hide behind these virtues. I even had someone who told me once, they said, yeah, but God helps those that help themselves, right? That, that's what scripture says. And I'm like, it's nowhere in the Bible. It's not there. Listen, it's not in the Bible, so let's look at what the Bible says. What did Jesus say? Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12, 14. He said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions, right? How many possessions do we have in our lives? Anyone wanna to testify to that? We're now at the point where I'm seeing storage lockers being built everywhere. I'm like, how much crap do we have in our lives that we don't have any more space in our mega houses to now we have to go buy another air-conditioned locker to put all this stuff that we never use into a locker. There's even, there's even businesses and television shows called Storage Wars. What? Oh my gosh. How many things do you have in your life? Look in your wardrobe. How many shoes do you have? How many clothes do you have that you haven't worn this year? I'm not talking about the one suit that you wear every three years to go to a wedding that you might get invited to. I'm talking about the clothes that you've got, the shoes that you've got, the junk that you have, the stuff you've been collecting, sitting there and you're like, you know what I need? More space. Jesus talked about this. He went on and he continued on. He was telling this story about this, this, this guy who had a huge farm and he had so much that came in. And then he said, he said, this is what I'll do. What will I do with all this grain? He said, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. I'll get a bigger barn and there I will store my surplus grain. Have you had a surplus in your life? Have you had more than you could ever imagine? No, no, it's been a tough year. Okay, compare it to last year or compare it to 10 years ago. Do you have more in your life today than you did 10 years ago? You have more. Jesus goes on and he tells the story and he says, I'll say to myself, this is the farmer speaking, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is Jesus telling this story. So what spiritual habit overcomes this greed? The answer is generosity. Generosity conquers greed. You see, the rich man didn't just have a surplus of money. He had a surplus of time. 
In our church, we talk about our time, our talent, and our treasure. You know you're generous when you're giving of each of these boxes. You're giving your time, you're giving your talent, and you're giving your treasure. Now, maybe you're only giving one of those things, well done, that's good. But the goal is to get to a place where generosity consumes your life entirely. Give your time, give your talent, give your treasure. That generosity is a spiritual habit that will heal your heart to stop being consumed by the fear of scarcity and loss. This is how it will be, Jesus said, with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. That's interesting. He didn't say that is not rich towards poor people or to your neighbor or to someone else. He said, but is not rich towards God. You giving isn't about you giving to someone else because they need something. Because here's the thing, you might give something away and then find out the person took you for granted or really wasn't that needy and now you're gonna feel angry because they used you or abused you. But uh, 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 remember, you're not giving to people because they deserve it, you're giving to people because God's told you to. In the same way that God gave to you, not because you deserved it, he gave to you because of his love for you because of who he is, not because of who you are. So don't give to people because they deserve it or because they're worthy of it or because of who they are because if you do that, you'll find out that no one deserves whatever your generosity is. Give it because you're giving towards God. Generosity towards God. Here's the last one. The fourth one is jealousy and that is God owes me. God owes me something. When this is when you think that God has been holding out on you and it usually shows up when you compare yourself to others and the worst thing or maybe some probably in our lives is the, is the, is the new uh, world that we live in with our smartphones and all we do all day is scroll through and see what other people are doing in their lives and what other stuff they have in their lives but they're never posting what crap they've got in their lives right? They're only posting the new car they've got, the new toy they've got, the new game they've got, the new house they've got, the new marriage they've got, the new picture that they've got. Look how gorgeous I am. That's what we do, right? And then we suckered in going, now I'm jealous because their life seems awesome. But you're not seeing the whole picture. Jealousy can start to fill our hearts. This is when someone is smarter than you, faster than you, richer than you, taller than you, prettier than you, funnier than you. They have skinnier legs than you. They have a, a bigger butt than you. Or maybe they've got a smaller butt than you. Or maybe they've got more muscles. Maybe they've got a nicer car than you. This is what happens. We start becoming tied and jealous of the things that it seems like other people's successes and we're not getting to see it in our own lives and it brings out a competitiveness, it brings out criticalness, it brings out depression in our lives. But here's the good thing, this doesn't happen to me. You know why? Because I'm a pastor and I'm perfect. Never happens to me. I love it when people come up to me and go, hey, did you see that church down the road that just finished building their new church? I'm like, oh yes, it's so wonderful. I love that they built their church and they're all finished and it's all completed and, I, and I'm still stuck in the weeds over here trying to mow the yard over there. Forget about building the building. Right, it happens to me as well. And then at that moment, I can let my heart sink. Oh my God, we planned this years ago and still nothing's happened and, and now the prices of everything has gone up. We can start whining about it and we're basically saying to God, why have you let me down? Why have you not provided for me? You said you would, you're not a good father. That's jealousy. That's when you're saying to God, you owe me. You need to give me something better. 
Years ago, I had gone through this myself and we had gotten a junky house and we'd fixed it up in this neighborhood and the junky house matched the neighborhood to some degree, right? And so, so the neighborhood wasn't that fancy, wasn't that nice. And it got to the point our house was so nice that everything else just stayed the same. And I got to the place going, God, I don't want to be in this neighborhood anymore. I want to be in a nicer neighborhood, right? Anyone ever been there before? Only me. And, and, and so I was looking at it going, I'm like, but God, I want to, and after a while, I, I felt God can impress something on my heart and he said, make the neighborhood nicer. And I'm like, why do I have to do that? Right, why am I the one that has to do it? I got to the point where I was mowing six people's yards at one point, right? I'm mowing my yard, his yard, her yard, his yard, his yard, and him over there that doesn't deserve it, I'm mowing his yard as well. Why? Because I wanted to live in a lovely neighborhood. But God said, I can give you a lovely neighborhood, just go make it happen. You see, what I was telling to God was this, you owe me. God doesn't owe me anything. I owe my obedience to God to do whatever it is that he has called me to do. Jesus says this, sorry, James says this in chapter four, verses one to two. He says, what causes fights and quarrels amongst you? Well, I was having quarrels with my neighbors. I'll tell you what's causing quarrels amongst me. They're not mowing the yard. What does it cause quarrels amongst you? Don't they come from your desires? Uh-oh, my desires, my desire to have something better to be owned something, to be given something better. Why do I have to put up with those people? That's a jealous, selfish desire. Your quarrels come from your desires that battle within you. You desire but do not have, so you kill. You kill your relationships. You kill through your words. You kill by pulling other people down. You kill the opportunities you have through the ingratitude that fills your life. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight more. You start complaining about it more. Wow, what spiritual habits should fill our lives? Why should we have the right to be able to have these things? We don't have the right to have these things, but what spiritual habit would at least conquer this jealousy within me? Let me tell you what it is, it's celebrating others. In Romans chapter 12, it says this somewhere, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses nine and 10, on this screen right now, don't just pretend to love others, really love them, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. That's hard to do as a Christian. How do you honor other people that you think should be looking after you better, who should be giving you more? You know what you should do? Up your game and celebrate them. If they've gotten something that you don't have that you deeply desire, why don't you text them and call them? Why don't you post online? So happy for my friend because they finally got this thing. They got into the college that I never got into. They got the job that I always wanted. They got the car, they got the friends, they've got the opportunity, they've got the marriage, they've got the things that I was desiring and I'm gonna kill and crush this jealousy within myself by celebrating what God has given to them. Not because they deserve it. You're not celebrating because they deserve it. You're celebrating because God is good and that's all that matters. I want you to consider today what is it that your life of repentance should be about this week? 
Do you need to get more into confession, forgiveness, generosity, or celebrating others? Because if you really want to know the will of God, if you want to have the things of God, you're going to have to start embracing the lifestyle of a Christian, the behaviors, the spiritually healthy habits and behaviors that it takes in order for you to be able to receive and understand God the way that he wants you to receive and understand him. Let's stand this morning. Repentance is simply being sorry enough to change. Repentance is changing your mind and then your behaviors follow. So this morning, I'm not just telling you, I need you to go change your behaviors. This morning, I want you to make a decision right now to change your mind and then go change your habits this week, right? Because no habit can change right now. We're all standing still just looking at me like this. There's no habit change, but there's a mind change. If we can change our minds, maybe we can start taking hold of new habits. Father, this morning, we want to bring a heart of repentance to you. Father, I wanna be sorry enough to change. I wanna confess my sin. I want to forgive those who have hurt me and sinned against me. I want to let go of these debts. I want to be debt-free in my life. I want to celebrate my friends. I want to let go of these things. I want to be generous to other people. Help me to change my mind on the stuff that I have and the things that I do. Help us to be free, Father. Every person in this room will have debt broken off their lives. That they'll stop walking and living and thinking like slaves. That's not able to even receive the future generosity that you want to give to us because we're carrying debt in our lives. Fill us with your compassion, Father. Fill us with your spirit, we ask. Forgive us, O God. Help us to feel the grief of our sin so we can change our mind and go do the right things. We ask this in your precious Son's name.